Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to our podcast. Yes, good. Where we talk about talking cats with our cats that are basically talking cats. Screaming cats. He screamed. He screamed. Hey, this is Editing Amy just popping in to let you know that we had some audio issues with this episode. Um, So if occasionally you hear a rustling noise, um, I do apologize. There was some kind of interference happening. I'm not sure what was causing it. Um, But from time to time, you will hear a scritchy, scratchy, scrushy kind of noise. Uh, And here is our apologies for that. Okay, back to the episode. Thanks. So this week, we watched Hocus Pocus. Yeah, It is on theme with our spoopy month we've got going. And it's a classic. A classic from 1993, if you didn't know. Um, So, Hocus Pocus is a cheesy Disney Halloween family film um, about three witches, the Sanderson sisters, uh, living in 17th century Salem, where they are killing children to regain their own youth. Uh, when their plan is foiled by a young name, man named Thackeray Binks, they curse him to live forever as a black cat and vow to return to the town one night. Uh, flash forward 300 years on Halloween night when uh, Max Dennison, his little sister Danny, and his crush in high school Allison accidentally resurrect the witches and have to deal with them on a spoopy night out. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That was mostly off the top of my head, because I, if we're going into uh, relationships with this media, have always known about this film. It is a classic in my house, because no one in my family does scary movies, so we watch stuff like Hocus Pocus instead. And also, Bette Midler is amazing, and me and my mom both love her. This was actually my first time watching this movie, um, just because it wasn't a part of like my childhood at all. I feel like I knew of it, but, like, didn't realize that people really loved it and, like, watched it every year up until I was in, like, college. And that was when I, like, really heard about it because everyone was, like, a sucker for their 90s nostalgia. None of us ever really watched it in college, though, did Nobody we? did, but everybody talked about it around Halloween. Mm-hmm. Shame on us. But we watched it I'm now. a whopping 24 years old and I just watched this movie for the first time. And did you like it? It is cute. It's so 90s Disney. It's like quintessential (laughs) 90s Disney. It really is. Like the acting, the aesthetic, like... The random music number. Right. Well, and like... It reminds me so much of movies like like Air Bud. With just the style and, like, the way the kids act and everything. Like, there's... You can peg a 90s movie so easily. If, like, a 90s movie that was intended for kids that's live action, so easy to spot from, like... You could be on a TV, like, 20 feet away and you could be half distracted and you'd be like, that's a 90s (laughs) Disney movie. (laughs) Like, it just really, really... There's such a, uh, a strong brand with it. I feel like... The um, the kids are all, like, really strong characters because you really like them. Because um, I know you were saying that you've always liked the younger sister. I totally had a crush on her when I was a kid, and I didn't realize until I was older. 
Uh, what's her name? Danny. Danny. Um, like, Danny is a super lovable character. Like, everybody, I think, really feels the need to, like, keep Danny safe. Um, yeah. They do a really good job of, like, instilling that so then we feel the same things as, like, her brother and everything. Yeah. Um, she's also, like, really capable in her own. Like, as soon as yes. they face the witches, she's, like, playing along and trying to, like, get out of there alive and take care of herself, kind of. They have a really nice balance of, like... She's not helpless. Yeah, she's the little sister, but she's still, like, yeah, a good character in, in and of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that I feel like she is really well done, and Max is also really well done. Um, but in my opinion, Binks is kind of, like too over the top and I think it was them trying to make it seem like he was from an earlier time Mm -hmm. but he's so like I must avenge my sister and join her in heaven and like just like all of his like intensity about like like doing right by like what he couldn't do before for his sister is so theatrical (laughs) he is extremely theatrical like in everything else he does, too, because there's the intensity of, like, oh, I failed my little sister Emily, but also, like, his, like, sassing Max and the witches and being protective of Danny. It's all very Shakespearean, almost. Yes. They really went for, like, a very old England feel for the, um... The opening scene, and then also just, like, him overall. I just remember you laughing at that opening scene, which I always forget that part exists, where they're actually showing you, like, 1693 Salem. hmm Um, and then I always laugh when I, like, have to watch it again, because I'm like, oh, oh, they did that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just they remember went you there. being like, oh, okay. We're just, like, running around in his big white pajama shirt. <laughs> That gets, like, so, like, ripped open. I was, what was I looking at the other day that was, like, it wasn't cinema sense, but it was basically, like, why the fuck did his shirt rip open that easily? They made better clothes back then. They wouldn't have just, like, torn open. Yep. Little pirate shirt. Um. This kind of leads into one of the fun facts that we just learned before recording this, uh, which is that, well, so in a previous podcast, and our one about Lo- The Lion King, we talked about how the guy who voices Kovu has been in, like, everything. And he is in Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. And he is the voice of Binks. However, when you see Binks as a human, that's not Jason Marsden who voices Kovu. Apparently they dubbed Jason Marsden's voice over the image of somebody else and didn't have that guy just be the voice for Binks as a cat as well. Like, it just seems very counterintuitive to me, and I really want to know the thought process behind deciding to do it that way. Yeah, I never understand when movies do that, because it's like, if you don't like the voice of the person, why are you casting them? And if you don't like the look of the person, why aren't you casting them? Like, presumably someone else Just find someone who can fit both. both. <laughs> right, yeah. you, you would think. Because, like, I love both of them obviously i love everything about this movie but like presumably like like the guy playing acting out human binks and the guy voicing binks aren't like irreplaceably phenomenal in their it's a disney (laughs) 90s movie no one's phenomenal excuse you that midler is (laughs) 
Yeah, it's just such an odd creative choice because I feel like that's so much more work. <laughs> kind of yeah. makes sense, though. Yeah. Now that I think about all the Shakespearean stuff. It's because he was never actually there. He was just being dramatic in a voice studio somewhere. <laughs> that's the dream. It's... Um... But yeah, going back to, like, all the characters being really good, I think, like, not enough movies have a small ensemble cast, mm-hmm. I think, and it always ends up working really well when, I mean, I guess it kind of has to be a successful movie for us to, like, learn about it at all anyway, but, like, when movies have, like, six main characters or something like that, like, it always ends up working really well. And I think those are the ones that always kind of end up being cult favorites. Mm-hmm. I think it's because it's a group that you can pinpoint all of the people very easily. And, yeah. like, they're all, like, you're not stretched too thin trying to understand too many people. So then you feel like you have a good feeling for all of those characters. And they all had time to be fleshed out. So then you can feel connected to them more mm-hmm. easily. It's like it's like the Breakfast Club thing, yes. basically. Where they you have, like an archetype and it's okay that they're archetypes because they also get like their own screen time and backstories and developments and stuff like that and so it's all kind of like really easily recognizable yeah mm-hmm. um also though something that we said while we were wa- well I think I originally said while we were watching this um was that they kind of have like a found family feeling um which yeah. I said I believe during the scene when they take Binks back to uh Max and Danny's house and they're all like falling asleep and they're talking about how like Binks is gonna live with them now and all that stuff and I'm like there's a very strong found family feel to this because it's almost set up where it's like Max and Danny or not Max and Danny Max and Allison are like the quote parents (laughs) um and then Danny is like their daughter they're protecting and then Binks is, like, the estranged cousin or something that lives with them. Aww. Like, it had a found family feel to, like, the structure of everything. Um, and I think that that is um, a big part of small ensemble casts, is that they all fall into these roles where someone ends up feeling parental because they're, like, the, you know, mom friend, air quotes. Yeah. Or, because they're the protective one, or they're the one who's like, wash your hands, and stuff like that. (laughs) You know, like, they fall into these roles that we associate with roles within a family, and everybody has a family, to some extent. Um, So then everybody has a family that they can equate those roles to, so then you see, like, the found family structure within in a group of friends. Right. Because, to go back to Stranger Things, I think that... um, this definitely happens there where we see like the leadership roles within the group and like they all want to protect Will so then he kind of falls into a like ch- more children's sort of role and then Nancy and Jonathan because they're fighting the Demogorgon have almost like a parental thing going on because they're like taking on the big baddie sort of thing and um so it's easy to have a found family feeling to a small ensemble cast. Yeah. Especially with varying ages with kids. This is true. I also, uh, and I think I pointed this out also when you said that, like, 80s and early 90s movies are also so easy to have a found family cast because no one's parents are around. No, their and parents are always so parents, absent. They're just, like, dumb oh, or wait, negligent. Wait. speaking of parents. Yes. Okay. 
did they not curse all of the parents at that party to have to dance? Dance until they die. But then they, like, never really addressed it. Well, the witches it. die. Right. So the that's why they die, can so leave. The curse dies. But, like, they don't show the parents being like, wow, we really couldn't stop dancing. They yeah, just show, yeah. well, they just show the one scene where they're leaving, but they don't really, like, fully address it. They just look kind of confused. They look confused, and they're, like, exhausted, and they're like, wow, we were out really late. But no, they don't. Which I guess is just, like, the kind of thing with... Uh, Cat interruption. <laughs> it's, like, the kind of thing with, like, that style of Disney movie of being, like, lol, the parents don't know what they're doing, so they're just gonna kind of be comic relief at mm-hmm. the end. I don't know if that's a Disney thing or just, like, a 90s thing. Yeah, no, parents are very, very absent in lots of media about children. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, I was at the uh, Halloween store yesterday, and there was a whole section of Riverdale costumes. What? And I feel like that's kind of uh, topical, because, like, their parents are so negligent in that show. Do they have parents in that Yeah, no, their parents have all of their own drama going on in the show, (laughs) um, but their parents have, like, no clue what their kids are up to ever, and so their parents, like, the kids are just, like, missing for several days, and the parents just think, like, oh, they're sleeping over at so-and-so's, like, that kind of thing. Stranger things all over again. It is. Like, how are these kids all getting away with that shit in the 21st century? Like, my mom would make me, like, share my location with her yeah. and stuff. 80s, 90s, it makes sense. Today? Mm-mm. Yeah. Not. No. How are these parents so unaware of where their kids are? Which also, like, you don't need to be a helicopter parent. PSA, don't be a helicopter parent. <laughs> but also, like, there's a ridiculous amount of, like, not knowing where their kids are. Because, too, like, so Max takes Danny out trick-or-treating and the parents go to a party. Like, even though they're at a party... And it's the 90s. Would they not, like, use a payphone to call home and make sure the kids got back okay? Even if they're going to stay out later? Like, you just think that there would still be, like, in the... Grant, I wasn't a parent in the 90s. I was barely conscious in the 90s. <laughs> However, you, you think that, like... In they would have some way to, like, check on their kids. Like, they would ask the neighbor, like, hey... Can you just, like, make sure that they, like, get home by this time that, like, they're supposed to be and, like, you know, like, just, like, some adult checking on them because it's Halloween night. Like, they're walking all over town. Especially with the fact that, like, they just moved to that town. which like They could just get lost. Maybe it's the fact that, like, they used to live in Los Angeles and now they live in a small New England town and nothing happens in small New England towns that are historically famous for having witches in them. (laughs) Like, if anything, that's where all the serial killers are. But, yeah. So that could be just a trope on, like, the L.A. kind of thing, too. Yeah. That does, like, uh, rationalize it a little bit more. I kind of forgot about that part. Did they even say why the parents moved them from L.A.? No. I don't think they give a reason. Because it's usually, like, a, you know, like, the dad's a writer and the mom does something, blah, 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 I don't know, kind of thing, and they it's, need to I get out like of the city. I feel like it's usually a job transfer thing, yeah. too. they never mention it, because no. the parents go to a party. Well, like, Homeward Bound is a job transfer thing, so I think that's why I just assume that a 90s live-action movie about them moving is going to be a, a, uh, a job thing. Well, and I think I got the writer thing from Coraline, so... Ah. We're just stealing other uh, other plots. And that's called writing. 
Yep. Um, Nothing's original. Side note, like, now that I think about it, I can't think of another, like, kids' family movie of this kind of type where, like, the parents are out at a party and the parents are doing irresponsible things. Like, usually they're just kind of, like, they don't care about the kids, obviously. Right, but, but they they're usually not doing like, something, oh, like, silly. Right, yeah, they do usually... If they do have an explanation as to, like, where the parents are and why they're not keeping tabs, it's not something, yeah, that irresponsible. Yeah. It's like, and if they're going out, it's like a fancy date night and they don't want the kids there. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. And I guess not to say that, like, if you're a parent who goes to a Halloween party, you're irresponsible. It's no. just irresponsible by Disney standards yeah. of Disney-fying things. Which, like, they did have the mom dress up as, like, Madonna, so that makes sense. But... I feel like that's almost scandalous for Disney. <laughs> like, they made a Madonna reference? Oh. Like, a sexy Madonna reference, too. Like, yeah. pointy boobs and everything. They went for it. Right. And there were, there's definitely supposed to be a weird moment of uh, Danny seeing her mom in that costume and her mom being embarrassed. Yeah. So Disney is, like, conscious of the fact that, like, it's a lot. Which is so interesting. It's so weird. I feel like this was pre-Disney, though, being very worried about, like, a politicized image or anything. Like, I feel like they're now way more concerned about their image as far as, like, scandalous characters or something than they were in the 90s. Like, they had more fun in the 90s. Didn't, Didn't we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We were barely conscious human beings, and we're like, ah, oh, the 90s, so fun. I was fun. not alive in 93, and it was a great time. <laughs> I was, but a wee egg in my mom's uterus. 93? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Melanie was just born then. Yeah, I was gonna say Justin was just born then. Hello, our siblings. Shout out to our siblings. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. The Marvel podcast I listened to, um... When they sign off, they each have someone they thank. So they go, thank you for theme music, thank you for... And then it's like something else. And then the girl goes, and thank you to my mom for giving birth to me. Aww. And that's how they end it. That's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like we did something very similar. Like, shout out to our siblings. I may have tweeted them when I referenced them in our last episode and they didn't respond. And I'm kind of sad because they responded to my last tweet I tweeted at them. Maybe I'll tweet this at them too. Notice me. Please, I love you. You're my favorite podcast. Okay, I'm going to pull this back <laughs> on track now. Um, okay, so one of the things that, like, I've I've never really, like, thought about before, like, definitely gotten the vibe of watching this, but, like, mm -hmm. never, like, fully clocked, um, is, like, there's so many, like, cool sort of references to... I don't think references is the right word. I think they handle the sort of time travel characters being in the wrong time frame. I think that's handled actually weirdly well. I would say yes, except there was one scene, and I'm trying to remember what it was, where we were like, oh, they don't know what buses are, but they know that. Oh, yeah, there's like one joke that, like... Bette Midler's character made while they were on the bus or whatever. Um, mm. I don't remember what that joke was. It was something, though, where it was like she made a reference to something very modern. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she said something about a driver's permit. 
Oh yeah, and um, we were like, "How does she?" Max is no like driving permit away, is. and she like pulls up on the broomstick, and she's like, "Hi, permit, license, and registration, please." And we're like, "Wait a second. Other than that, though, um, and not even just that, like, oh, it was so well written and done, but I think they just play on it like really well, like the whole the whole scene with the bus driver and um, mm-hmm. them being like, "What is this?" Like knowing enough to like flirt to get their way, but also having no idea what a bus is. Um, and then I like the fact that, like, the kids can constantly use technology against them. It feels mm-hmm. kind of, like, that kind of Home Alone vibe when you're watching Home Alone and you're like, I'm so glad this kid has an advantage on them. Like, it's something that, like, because he lives in a big house or because he lives in the city or whatever, like, he has this advantage on them. And I like that they get to use that same kind of, like, because they live in the modern world, they have this natural advantage that they get to use, even if they're kids going up against, like, centuries-old witches. Right. Um, so the whole, like, f- faking them out with, like, the fire system thing and uh, the headlights to mimic Dawn and stuff like that. I don't know. I just thought, I've always thought that was really clever. But, like, even, like, I think it still holds up, even it's, like, though it's, like, a really cheesy movie. I think those are really nice little bits. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, you talking about the bus scene made me think of, like... The part I hate the most about this movie, <laughs> um, which is like Sarah's character, like mm-hmm. like Sarah the witch, um, and Sarah Jessica Parker. Yes, it makes me uncomfy because it's so weird how they give her like like she's the immature one, but she's also the sexy one. Yeah, it's not great. It's very uncomfortable when you think about it that way. Because, yeah, it's, like, she's supposed to be the childish one, yeah. and, like, she isn't as smart as the others, and, like, is easily fooled. Even though every once in a while she's right and they don't realize it at all, and that's, like, a running gag. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, she's supposed to be the childish one, and she acts like a little girl, and then she's also crazy sexualized. Yeah, it's that, like, baby doll infantilizing... Is that how you say that? I don't know. Pedophilic. Like, yeah, that all-too-common thing that people like to do when they make media and mm-hmm. also live their lives. Because also, did you notice that her dress wasn't a dress? It was, like, a top and bottom, so she had a midriff. And you couldn't see it if she was just standing, but in certain scenes that were more action-based, she had, like, a full midriff Yeah, out. like, when she jumps up and down and stuff. Yeah, and she also has, like, the most, like, push-up bustier on her, like, dress. Yeah. Which could just be, like, Sarah Jessica Parker being, like, the Sex in the City. Well, when did Sex in the City come out? It was after this, wasn't it? It was. 1998. Um... But, like, they could just be, like, Sarah Jessica Parker as an actress at the time. But, yeah, that was definitely, like, part of the direction, too. Um, yeah. Which is really upsetting to me because, like, I adore Sarah's character because I, like, I think it's hilarious, like, watching, like, I watched this with, uh, Stephanie, with one of our friends, Stephanie, um, and together we were, like, binge-watching Sex and the City at the time, and then we watched this, and it's just kind of hilarious to see, like, the range of Sarah Jessica Parker's acting from, like, Carrie Bradshaw, that's the name of the character, it's been a while, but from Carrie Bradshaw to, like, kooky, quirky witch, um, and it's really impressive, but, like, yes, it's also kind of disgusting. Mm-hmm. There's such a male gaze to it. Like, yes. You know some 
some guy did that. Right, because, like, she is, like, making out with a guy at the party where the parents are, and then she sits on the bus driver's lap, and there's, like, that whole weirdness. Mm. Um, so there's just, like, a lot of... There's a lot of scenes that, like, cross the line, where it's, like, they could have towed it, and, like, we would have been, like, mm, okay... But, like, those yeah. two are the moments when I'm, like, ooh, they really jumped across that line. Yeah, because it's, like, they could have even done the, like, kind of silly, airheaded kind of feel to it that she has without doing well, the little girl stuff. Yes, they could have made her, like, not smart without it being, a, like, infantilizing. Yeah, because there's parts where she sort of reminds me a little bit of, like, Luna Lovegood, just that sort of, like airiness and weirdness completely yeah, like different head characters. in the clouds kind yeah, of thing head in the clouds and that's definitely and like even the whole like sometimes she's the one who like remembers something or knows something and says it like that running joke even fits with like luna a little bit of right. like oh wait she's actually smart um so like if they'd like done that instead but yeah they made her so childish that it's just uncomfy and it almost bridges on like like an ableist thing because she's an adult who acts so childish and I feel like we associate that with people who have like something they were born with yeah so then like it makes me uncomfortable because it feels like it's almost degrading to people who have some kind of like learning disability Yes. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's really upsetting. It's kind of a character where they were like, oh, she's going to be the dumb one. And then as they like fleshed out what that meant, didn't realize that they were going down like a bad route. Yeah. And like Disney, who is now so concerned about their image, <laughs> put this Damn out Disney. into the world in you 93. Did this, Disney. Oh, Disney. I was going off about Disney at work the other day because I was like, they're putting out a streaming service for us to buy when they already own a streaming service. They could just put all of the shit on. And my coworker was like, wait, so like, how much do you hate Disney? She's like, have you ever been to Disney World? It's like, oh yeah, I'll still go to Disney World. Just don't make me pay for a streaming service when you already own one. I was like, so angry. You know what's really sad too? They announced uh, a sequel to Hocus Pocus to be on Disney Plus only, and that mm -hmm. kind of makes me really want to get okay. Disney Plus. All they're doing, okay, just pirate it. Um, oh, I mean, but duh. All they're doing at Disney Plus is putting out sequels to things that they know people have always been like asking for a sequel of. Yep. They're not even going to be good sequels because no. it's for a streaming. It's service. it's the same thing as a straight to TV movie. Like that's what they're doing. Instead of putting them on Disney Channel, they're putting them on Disney Plus. But they're going to be straight to TV quality. Or straight to DVD quality. That's why I've never been to Disney World. Also, because no one's ever taken me. <laughs> Disney? Disney? I think that's also, like, really sad compared to, like, putting right aside, like, alongside all the, like, like, dumb male characters calling... Winnie ugly or old or hag and stuff and her being like oh that really hurt my feelings and the, like the witches like pep each other up in that way mm -hmm. and being like it doesn't matter what those stupid boys think we're gonna be young forever and then we're gonna kill all the children like that kind of thing like not good what they're doing but like there's that kind of tone of like 
I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but the fact that, like, they're calling Winnie ugly and then her getting the chance to build herself up and have her sisters build her up, like, mm-hmm. that feels like a good message. Right. But here's the only thing, is that they are the bad guys. Yes. So does that mean that they're trying to, like, villainize feminism? And, I mean, like, they're always women trying to empowered. feminism. Because like, it, al- it, it almost seems like the underlying message there is that women who, like, build themselves up and try and be outside of, like, male critique are bad. I mean, that's basically witches in media in a nutshell. True. Um, <laughs> but, uh... How dare you fuck off into the woods and ignore <laughs> men? <laughs> I think in Hocus Pocus's case, it's more along the lines of um, these women are ugly and therefore they're evil. Like, they're old yes. and they're ugly and therefore they're evil. It's like they're so ugly that they have to try and, like, kill children of all <laughs> things because, like, children are, like, the untouchable purity. And so it's like they kill children. They're so concerned about being, ha- like, so ugly. Yeah. Which, like, I'm not even sure that can be a serious critique because yeah. everything is such a stereotype. Like, oh, mm-hmm. it's witches. It's Salem witches. And it's Salem witches kidnapping children and stirring right. potions like, and they're using playing magic spells. on so many stereotypes because it is a children's movie at the end of the day. So, like, yeah. you had they had to do very, very stereotypical witches. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd really be interested to see, like, someone do a study of how we went from the literal witch trials to the, uh, like, caricature of witches we have now with, like, the cauldron and the broomstick and the black cat. Like, the progression of how that evolved in pop culture. How we went from, like, a serious, like, political-esque event that involved killing people to ending up with this, like cartoonish image. Uh, lots of misogyny and anti-Semitism. Yes. But I want to see, like, details. <laughs> I knew some of, like, the iconography at some point and how it got to be there, but I don't remember it anymore. Someone's probably done a really good Tumblr post on that with a lot of <laughs> hyperlinks. Yeah. The hyperlinks are necessary for me to believe it, but I hope it's there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, like, witch traditions... Um, like, I, I said, I really like how they handle, like, technology and pseudo-time travel, I guess, in this. I also really like how they handle, like, Halloween traditions and the sort of witch traditions. Like, the whole thing when they're wandering around town and there's all the trick-or-treaters and the witches are like, oh my gosh, there's, like, evil spirits running around. And, like, the original point of wearing costumes on Halloween was to disguise yourself from evil spirits so they would think you're one of them and not attack you. So, like, the fact, like, like that's how they take it. Like, I think that's just such a cool little reference. And they do a couple of things like that throughout the movie where they're just kind of, like, actually referencing original Halloween traditions and witch traditions and, like, that kind of, like, old magic kind of thing. I always think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know, they have, like, such a surprising amount of, like, clever bits for yeah. a, a it's like, movie. Yeah, it's like they did their research and then didn't need to, like, flex that they did their research. They just, like, threw it in there when it was, like, convenient. Yep. Okay, does it bother you at all that Binks can talk? No, but keep in mind, I don't remember the first time I saw this. So, like, I was probably okay. young enough to be, like... 
talking cat. I also had a black cat growing up, so mm. like I am so fond of black cats, no matter where they come from. I does it bother you? Yeah, it kind of bothers me. Um, which I know that I saw a thing saying that it's like he only ever can talk to the kids who lit the candle, and so like that kind of explains the plot hole of why he like couldn't talk at the hanging, oh, but yeah. can talk to them. And like, okay, I'll accept that it's a children's movie. However, I think it would have been really cool for um, him to not be able to talk. And he has to, like, lead them to things, and then they have to, like, figure out what he's insinuating by just, like, leading them and then, like, poking things or, like, sniffing things. That's true. Like, I think that would be an interesting way. Rather than them just being told, this is how it works, this is what you have to do by the cat, instead, them have to, like, figure out the curse and what they've done a little bit more on their own. So, like, his assistance, but not him just blatantly telling them. Mm-hmm. Two problems with that. One, it would have been such a different movie. Like, because so yeah. much of this movie is him being, like, the historical figure and telling the history and being sassy and being, mm-hmm. like, cute with Danny. But, I mean, that could even be, though, him just, like, leading them to, you know, like, a book that explains some of the stuff that he would have said otherwise. And he still could have been, like, cute and fun with Danny, where it's, like, obvious that he's partial to her, and he's, like, headbutting her, and, like, he jumps out of, like, someone else's arms into hers, because he wants to be held by her. Oh, and Danny would be the one who understands him more. Right, she's the one who's, like, interpreting his movements and everything more so than the others. Um, The other thing is, I always kind of thought that Binks was, like, a reference to Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, I think that came out after this. Did it? I want to say so. You're probably right, but... Because one of the fun facts I saw... Um, yeah, 96. Because um, one of the fun facts I saw was that they used the same CGI cat. They used the same, like, tech. That makes sense. That's also probably why I thought, like, I combined them. Because, like, both of those themes happened before I was able to distinguish, like, media. Right. Uh, slash before like, I was of... able to breathe. <laughs> right, one of these came out before you were born, one of these came out when you were born, so... <laughs> the exact moment. <laughs> None of the... I like the 90s movies where it's the live-action animals, and then they just, like, put a voice over the top, but their mouth doesn't even move. That's Those are my you favorite. you don't like Binks. Yeah. I loved Milo and Otis. I loved Napoleon. I loved Airbud. I loved Napoleon... Homeward Bound. And none of those animals' mouths move. Is Napoleon the Australian lizard one? Yes. Go okay. Away. <clears throat> Listen, if you have not seen the '90s movie Napoleon about a golden retriever who accidentally climbs into a mini hot air balloon at a little girl's birthday party and accidentally flies to the island of New Zealand, is that the plot? really the plot? That is the plot. Um, and then has to discover how to get home and meets a lizard and a wild dog and a parrot along the way. You need to go watch this because it's so harebrained and wonderful. And the lizard is the most memeable thing ever that's not a meme. And it needs to be a meme. I was going to say, alternatively, you can just look up the clip with the lizard because that's all I know. Yeah, you could literally Google Napoleon dog movie lizard go away and you will find the clip we are speaking about. And it is amazing. Away! Away! Anyway, it's real late and Grace is real tired. So if you're wondering why this episode is such a mess. You're not wrong. It's a little bit of a mess. 
We're having a good time, About as much a mess as a 1990s Disney family movie. Oh, I almost got thrown off by the ending, because I thought it was generally going to end after they, like, burned the witches in the kiln. Yeah. Um, which, like, it is happening, like, too concisely and quickly that, like, you almost know that that can't be it, because they're wrapping it up too nicely. Um, but also, because it's a kid's movie, it felt like, okay, it was just short-ish. And that's going to be the end. Um, that would have been really short. Yeah. But, like, I genuinely was for a moment like, oh, is that actually the ending? Because they have, like, like everything that happens in the real ending has already been introduced and played upon earlier in the movie. So, like, Billy comes back and they're fighting the witches on hollow ground and, like, all these stuff that, like, weren't elements originally. Which is, like, good storytelling that they that's what came back and built, like, the actual ending. But, like, because we already have all those thematic elements, like, yeah, it's totally kind of believable for a moment that that really is the end. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is kind of impressive that, like, they can do a good, considering, like, the quality of the rest of this, like, storytelling, that they can do a decent fake-out like that. Right. Well, and then even just the fact that they introduced us to, like, oh, the witches can't touch the hollow ground, and then that is, like, how one of them dies. Like, that's kind of really good for a children's movie. Mm-hmm. That they actually, like, introduced something at the beginning and followed through with it at the yeah. end. Because often I think children's movies just cop out of that kind of storytelling and, like, doing things really well full circle because they assume that the kids won't catch it anyways. So they just are like, uh, why do it? Yeah. I feel like there's a certain element in kids' movies that's great where you can do really, like, silly or, like, kind of harebrained weird things because kids will just accept it because they don't have all of these, like, preconceived notions about the world yet. Um, But there's also the downside of people and writers copping out of telling a story in a, like, fully circled, like, good mm-hmm. way, because they're like, oh, but it doesn't matter, because it's for kids. Um, and this movie definitely didn't take that cop out. Yeah, and I think, like, on paper especially, like, it actually is a really, like, solid story. Not that it's, like, overly fantastic or anything, but you have the parallels between, like, Binks and his little sister, mm-hmm. and Max and Danny, um... And, like, that kind of going full circle. And you have, uh, just, like, everything kind of, it is, it is circular and it does all come back and it kind of is self-referential. Um, and it kind of, it, to me, it's always kind of felt like, like a Grimm's fairy tale almost. Not Grimm's fairy tale, because those are dark. But, like, it feels like, Mm -hmm. um, like you got it out of a book of fairy tales or fables or something like that. It, it does have that sort of, like all of those elements kind of coming together feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like that, um, with that whole, like, oh, we did it, the witches are dead kind of thing, it wasn't an immediate, like, psych out. It gave us time to see what happens to these characters after the story. Um, so it's yes. like, Max and Allison are definitely getting together, but it's not like, oh, we did it and they're gonna kiss and live together happily forever. Like, we get them being kind of sweet and we get them taking care of Danny and kind of, like, 
painting out and kind of reeling after how crazy that night was. And we get Danny's plans to, like, Binks is going to be part of the family forever. And uh, that found family element that we were talking about earlier. And it's, it's kind of nice to get that sort of... I feel like too often stories kind of either don't have an ending at all they just kind of cut it off right at the end of the action or like like we just don't get to see how these characters are going to be afterwards and we don't get to see them sort of take a breath and kind of shift back to normal so I think that's a really cool thing that they do even after we find out that the witches are alive like they still have these moments of calmness which is really interesting mm-hmm. um I was just thinking about too how good it is the like layout of the group because they have you know they had to have somebody who didn't know the lore of the town be the one to light the candle because it would have to be somebody who was just like a total disbeliever so that's why it's max um and then danny is going to be his sibling to mimic binks and his sister well then you have two people who are trying to fight the witches who know nothing about the town so that's why you bring in Allison um so then she has the knowledge of the town and has like a history with the town and knowing about the witch trials and everything um and like the dynamic of how they built the group and added in each person and it's like oh but how do you get Allison there well she's interested in Max because like it just works really well to have like the dynamic they did in the group because I don't think that Max and Allison felt like it was like a forced romance like somebody has to be like flirting and like want to be yeah. together because um they're high schoolers you know I didn't feel like that I think it just had a very natural um like feel to how the group was built and everything mm-hmm. yeah because I think even with their like moments of like oh he obviously has a crush on her because she's the like cool smart girl like that kind of thing like his moment where he like gives her his number and tries to be all suave and stuff and she kind of just fires back right away like they balance them both out really well and I think having Danny there also helps because like Danny's a believer in the Sanderson sisters so Mm -hmm. she and Allison automatically get along and kind of have a thing against Max sort of Mm -hmm. um but then, like, Max and Allison obviously have, like, age to keep them, like, against Danny, and Max and Danny have a relationship that Allison doesn't have. Like, it's really well balanced on all sides. Yeah. And I feel like, too, there would be some, um, like, people who would be, like, conceiving this sort of idea, um, they would try and make there be something romantic with the person from the past, so then you get the heartbreak of now, like, they're gone, mm-hmm. um, and instead of doing something, like, romantic, say, like, Max was an older sister instead, and then, like, Binks and Max, like, have a crush on each other, yeah. but then, like, oh no, Binks is gonna be, like, gone because the curse is lifted, I feel like a lot of people would go for that angle, and I really like that instead of it being, like, a romantic heartbreak, it's just Danny being sad that Binks is going to be gone. But it's, like, bittersweet because Binks finally gets to be lifted of the curse. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool that that wasn't a romantic route and instead was Danny just, like, dooring a person. Yeah. Slash a cat. Yeah. And I think this is, like, obviously it doesn't go as deeply into any relationships at all. But, like, do you remember when Frozen came out? And everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's such a good, like, sibling relationship. And everyone was like, 
guys, Lilo and Stitch exists, and, like, quoting all these, like, previous movies with, like, heavy sibling relationships, Mm -hmm. and I feel like this definitely could have been part of that meme, um, where it's kind of like, it is more about the sibling, because even from the start, before any of the weird stuff happens, like, we get that kind of, like, makeup scene with Max and Danny, where he's like, I know I'm a bad big brother, let's keep go trick-or-treating, because actually I love you, because you're my little sister, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, like, at the core of this movie are sibling relationships because that is how Binks got cursed in the first place and that is how they ended up in the situation that they're in now with the witches back is because Max wants to protect his sister. Even with, like, the witches themselves, they have a really strong, like, sister relationship where they're not getting along, but also Mm -hmm. they have their, like, lifting each other up and complimenting each other and having their calming circles and, like, stuff like that. Like, they are also have that really supportive slash bickering relationship. Mm -hmm. This is just making me want to revisit that, like, sibling YA idea I pitched you a while back. Oh, yeah. It's really making me think about that again right now. (laughs) Maybe Amy's going to start writing again. (laughs) Cool. NaNoWriMo's just around the corner, Amy. I know, but I told myself I was going to read in November. I'm also not reading, even though I should be reading and writing. Oh. Hear me out, though. You could do NaNoWriMo and buy a pretty notebook just for NaNoWriMo <laughs> like I did today. Grace, I could, but also somebody has, like, two and three quarters jobs right now. Hmm. That's true. And a podcast and a YouTube channel. Why am I Stop like this? doing things. Gosh. I know. It's like I left college and I was like, oh, I don't have extracurriculars anymore. Let's find a bunch of shit to do outside of my <laughs> actual job. Literally. <laughs> Literally, Grace. <laughs> All right. Now that we've made a niche meme reference, I think it's time to end. Any final thoughts on Hocus Pocus? Apparently a lot of people put actual insects in their mouth for this movie, and I don't like that shit at all. Wait, did insects go in people's mouths in this movie? Sarah Jessica Parker actually ate a spider, and the guy that the moths come out of the mouth of actually put moths in his mouth to release them. Damn, that's dedication for both of them. Yeah. But I don't like that shit at all. And that is my final thought. That's such a sad final thought to leave it on. (laughs) I had to share my other, like, fun fact. Yep, okay, that's fair. And on that note... Grace has to be up in six hours to go to work, so uh, if you want to um, talk to us about our poor recording timing or any other hot takes, you can contact us on our Twitter at YesGoodPodcast or through email uh, YesGoodPodcast at gmail.com. We also have personal Twitters. Mine is at HeyIt'sAmyJ. That is A-M-Y-J-A-Y. And mine is Grace underscore Jessica, and that is Jessica with two A's. I'm going to sleep now, guys. Good night. Good night, and have a yes, good evening. Evening.